Welcome to the Value Investor Chatter Podcast. My name is Beko and my co-host, Hari. Hello. We're going to talk about what's going down right now with Silicon Valley Bank. We're going to talk about, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a moving target right now and it's actively developing. So right now we are recording this podcast on March 12th. Uh, this is Sunday afternoon here in the U.S. There are a lot of talks about what's going to happen. So we thought we'd give you our perspective, just share our perspective on what's happening from, from us as a value investor perspective, and then also transition into something more, something more tangible. And that, that is how do you, what are, what are some things that you should look at when you're analyzing a bank stock or, uh, any company that, that, that has a, a, as a business that is lending out their balance sheet basically. And so. We'll talk about those two things. So before we begin, Hari, give us a quick disclaimer and let's get yep, started. This, this is the Value Investor Chatter Podcast. We are a podcast that helps you grow your wealth and um, and understand financial markets. We are not um, financial advisors. We don't know your specific financial situation. So please consult with the appropriate advisor before making any uh, investment or tax decisions. Great. Again, like I mentioned, this is a moving target. So let's, um, Hari, could you, could you tell us what transpired over the last 48 hours, let's say? Yeah. So for those of you who are, uh, you know, like Becco said, we're still don't know all the answers to what's going on, but on March 8th, the, um, the bank, uh, SVB's CEO reported that they had to sell some of their short-term bonds that they were holding at a loss, the most liquid bonds that at a loss, uh, in order to have enough liquidity in their their uh, bank account to handle deposits, uh, you know, money outflowing from the bank. So when this in, was heard by the uh, depositors and uh, investment community as uh, as a serious problem for the bank, um, and so a lot of venture capital firms said to have uh, told their um, investor uh portfolio companies portfolio companies thank you uh to withdraw their funds and move them to other banks and so what happened was it created an old-fashioned bank run so essentially 42 billion dollars of uh cash was taken out of silicon valley bank or withdrawn from silicon valley bank on thursday the 9th and as a result of this the uh um the FDIC st uh, stepped in on the 10th Friday uh, to, sh to take over the bank and they actually uh, locked people out of their accounts. So um, my company actually has an account on Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, we were trying to with wire money out on the 10th, of the morning of the 10th, that it got stuck in a pending state because the FDIC took, the, took over the bank, uh, prevented any transactions and account access during that time. Um, and then what what happened after that is the FDIC issued a statement saying that depositors will be receiving, um, the bank will open on Monday, $250,000, which is the capital cap of uh, insurance that a bank offers, uh, is offered by the FDIC, will be available. And that later in the week, they will pay out a special dividend uh, to the, uh, on the 30 to 50% range of the remaining balance on that deposit. So nobody actually knows that's nobody's act. They haven't said how much that uh, second uh, payment will be, 
but there are some companies that have, you know, balances, you know, that are under the $250,000 threshold will get all of their money back. If you have more than that, some people I've heard have, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in Silicon Valley bank will get 250,000 also. And then they will sell off bank assets or try to find a buyer. Uh, and that is what is ongoing right now. Um, yeah. as we speak. It's a, it's a very dynamic situation. And, and to be honest, it's, it's a very frightening situation for a lot of people. And I mean, I think this is a moving target. My guess is that it'll be resolved one way or the other. And some people will be hurt more than others. Some people will be, be probably fine. What I would like to transition now into is, um, instead of, instead of trying to speculate on what will happen, I think what we could do is actually look at some of the things that you should look at when you're analyzing a bank stock, or it could be an insurance stock, or it could be any other, any, any businesses that are using their balance sheet to conduct their business. Some of these principles will apply. So I thought this could be a good opportunity to actually talk about some of those things. So yeah. let's, let's start there. Uh, what, so, what is on your list? Hari? Yeah. So I, I will just add to this before we get into that discussion that SVB as an entity, as a bank was publicly traded, it will likely not um, uh, survive whatever happens this weekend. The FDIC stepped in, they have branches all over the world, um, and each government is also stepping in to kind of limit what happens. But the thing about a bank is it's not an isolated entity. It has deals with other banks, it makes loans. The cash that it has is not actually cash, right? It's dependent on people not withdrawing all at once. And so why SVB is unique in this situation, to get back to the original question, is SVB catered, Silicon Valley Bank is located in Santa Clara, California, uh, you know, in the heart of Silicon Valley, and they have, they cater to startups. So a lot of venture capitalists use that bank, uh, host their own money there, and then they, the startups, they encourage them to use that bank because of some transaction fees and other things. So here is really what happened, and this is why what you should look at when you do use our checklist. By the um, way, I just want to I just want to point out one more thing. I've never worked for a company that didn't bank with Silicon Valley Bank. So it goes. It just goes to show that it's pretty deep. It is is very much synonymous with the Silicon Valley. They call it now the innovation economy, but this whole you know startup ecosystem. They are they're one of the backbones of this whole ecosystem. Anyway, back to you, Hari. Yeah. So S Silicon Valley Bank's biggest problem right now is that um, was venture money in the last 10 years when we had zero interest rates, you know, for a long time, venture money was flowing in freely. Um, and in the as the interest rates started rising, uh, venture money started disappearing because people were taking their money out of the venture space and putting it into bonds and other things. So what ended up happening is Silicon Valley Bank had a had a significant portion of their assets in these, you know, startup space. So when those start to disappear, their deposits disappear. And now they have uh, you know, they have less liquidity and less, you know, things because you know they they relied on those deposits to be uh, you know, to make loans and do other things. So the, the other thing about it was rising interest rates also screwed them in terms of they lost $1.8 billion and then announced that they have to 
sell shares in the company to make up for this loss, right? So I have not read their annual report, um, and I am I'm not an expert on financial you know companies, but what I would heavily look at is if Silicon Valley Bank, and I'm sure when you read their annual report, will say they cater to the startup world. If they put all men, all their eggs in the startup world basket, and then the startup world starts to dry up, it's not inconceivable that this could happen, right? Now the question is, could you read that annual report, you know, that was issued three months ago and see foresee that, right? Um, that's that's one of the things that you know when I looked at the banking industry, the company that I had is considered probably the best run bank in the world, um, which was uh, con was called Axos Bank. They have the highest return on equity of any bank in, in the U.S., um, but they're still very small and growing. Um, what I would do is I would compare that annual report run by uh, a CEO who I admire very much, uh, Greg Garabans, and see, I would compare them to how Silicon Valley Bank runs. And what you would see is Axos will report many quarters where they have no defaults on any of their loans, which is unheard of in most, you know, most companies will report a percentage Access will have, because they use technology to set up their loans and other things, right? So what you really care about with a company like Silicon Valley Bank is, you know, deposits are, are the, the lifeblood of the bank. That's how they make, um, you know, they, they get money to then loan it out. If that dries up, right? JP Morgan, Bank of America, you know, your, your local regional bank don't have that dependency, right? Um, they could be doing things that are like in 2008, where they put a lot of their money in these, uh, you know, high risk uh, mortgage loans and then mortgage backed securities that caused this, the financial collapse. Um, but I, I would be very careful and look, you know, through that and see what is Silicon Valley Bank doing? Well, it was what they catered to that caused this problem. Yeah, what they what they catered to is one. I think the second thing that you mentioned there is the interest rate rise. And I think the, the thing that I, that just blew my mind was that the mark to market, the, the I mean, the, the accounting rule around, uh, reporting, uh, accounting rule around the reporting requirement for what's in their, in their balance sheet, especially the treasuries that they buy, they're not mark to market. And so they can hold, they, they, you know, they might've purchased hundred million dollars of bond and they, they might've hold if they hold it to maturity, they can just market at the purchase price and never have to mark it down. And so that, that was where the discrepancy was. And I see some people are posting that the Delta between the purchase price, which is what's on the book of all these banks to the actual value of those treasury bills today, the difference is like some, something like 200 or 500 or $600 billion in value. That's another thing that you have to look at. So. Yeah. Um, let, let's, let's transition to the question that we, that we, that we should really pursue, which is, okay. So that you look at, you know, who are they catering to? Okay. Their, their customer, you could look at, you know, you could look at what is, you know, what is the loss ratio? Uh, what, some, what are some other things that, that, that we should be looking at when you're, when you want to get into a bank? Yeah. I mean, I, I would look at, you know, just understanding what, you know, I, most banks are, are, are not catering to a particular clientele or a particular, you know, uh, industry or anything like that, but there are a few like that. And those are the ones that are going to be, you know, I would be the most careful about because 
if they're heavily dependent on the industry that they're in, um, that creates a, it's, you know, its own headache, own set of, you know, situations that you have to watch out for. Right. The other thing is you have to be careful about it when banks generally make more money in a higher interest rate environment because they are able to, um, offer the loan, get a percent, you know, when a 7%, you know, APR on your mortgage will give them a higher, you know, amount of money, but they may have fewer loans that they give out, right? But the big challenge is when they transition from a low interest rate environment to a high interest rate environment, you know, the impact on that can be what you just talked about, right? They had a, they had, uh, they had a paper loss. They didn't actually have a loss in this scenario, but they had to get funds, you know, quickly. And in order to do that, they had to go and, uh, you know, they talked about selling shares in the bank. Well, venture capitalists, which this is actually a felony to, to say that there's a bank run. They triggered this bank run by pulling their money out. And then that's when the FDIC stepped in, right? So, you know, if you have a group of people who are very skittish, like venture capitalists and, you know, their, their portfolio companies, this, this scenario could happen, right? So I don't know if it's going to be, if you'll find other things that, where this could apply, but it's a, it's another thing to add to your list of checks if you're looking at a bank, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's certainly one of them. And it looks like, you know, Silicon Valley Bank is a very regional player. The, the one that you looked at, Hari, I think uh, Access Bank, it's also a very regional players. How yeah. do you think about the regional players versus big players? Why should somebody like invest in a, a regional player? Does it even make sense? What would be some of the things that you would look at uh, specifically for regional banks versus like a big, you know, bulge bracket banks like, you know, JP Morgan and Bank of America, et cetera? Yeah. So when you, as you get larger into um, the, the amount of deposits, the Fed actually adds more and more restrictions on how a bank operates. And what you'll see is a lot of these companies will actually try to avoid going across the threshold because it's a huge regulatory expense for them to go above it. Um, so when you talk about Bank of America and JP Morgan, they have the highest restrictions in place. That means they have to keep more cash available for any kind of bank run than say a Silicon Valley bank. Silicon Valley bank was under that threshold. So they're not in the too big to fail category. Um, so if this were to happen to a JP Morgan or Bank of America, I would imagine that a bailout would be, you know, one of the things that would be talked about more. Since since they're a regional player, they have they're actually able to grow faster because they have less restrictions. They don't have to keep as much cash. But you have to also watch out if they write too many bad loans, you know, that they can't recover, that's lost to the, you know, to the bank's equity. Um, if um you know, if there's a, you know, a, a severe recession, they have fewer loans that they can issue. You know, so they, they start losing, you know, money in that, you know, in that regard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, one of the, one of the reasons why I mean, you and I looked into this company, right? Access Bank a few, few years ago. Yeah. Um, and they were primarily writing loans for commercial real estate. Is that right? They, they, they were writing primarily loans for commercial uh, uh, businesses. They weren't necessarily always real estate. Real estate, loans. commercial real estate. So some of the banks are obviously like focused on a particular type of loan, right? Like commercial real right. estate, residential real estate, 
um, yeah, exactly. et cetera, right? So, so they, they'll all have specialties, but I, I mean, if think about it, if you had a, found a bank that's catered to oil and gas companies, right? And they all have a bunch of deposits. Oil and gas is at a hundred dollars a barrel. Everybody's making money. The bank actually has more deposits, right? Then oil and gas tanks and the banks who have, you know, have a lot of loans and things like that may lose a lot of their, their asset base, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's where you would have to look in and see, are they exposed to a certain industry that could cause this? Yeah. Yeah. Collateral damage, um, in an industry. What, what do you just, I suppose let's, let's wrap this up with one last question. This is a short one. Um, one last question, which is there are companies like banks, for example, they, this is something that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. These are companies that operate out of their balance sheet. They're in the business of lending out their balance sheet for other people, All right? They're effectively sort of creating money out of thin air using their balance sheet. There are other companies that do the same thing, like insurance companies, for example. How would you think about, you know, companies that are sort of similar in a similar vein where, you know, they're using the balance sheet to run their business? How would you think about, is there any differences should people look at um, compared to, you know, bank versus insurance company? Yeah, so it, it's effectively the same problem. Like imagine if you had a um, an insurance business that was running in the Midwest, right? And you provided hurricane insurance, right? Well, you probably wouldn't get very much for your premiums, but you probably have almost no payouts either, right? So compare that to running that same business in Florida, right? Where, you know, a hurricane may run into the hundreds of millions of billions of dollars of damage that an insurer would have to be um, on the hook for, right? So you would want to see what is the exposure that that insurance company has and what risk levels are they offering, right? So especially with things like, you know, catastrophic events that are rare, right? Like a terrorist attack or a you know, a, 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 a natural disaster or something like that, right? Insurance companies have risk and then they have reinsurance, which provides a stopgap above a certain threshold. The insurance company doesn't actually have to pay, right? They, they, it goes out to the reinsurer, right? And so the, the insurance company will have a limited thing that they will have to pay out of their equity. And that means that if they pay it out of their equity, that means you as the investor lose all of that equity as soon as it's paid out, right? Yep. So, so you have to be real careful and understand those risks, which is why I'm not in the, I don't typically buy insurance companies because I don't necessarily understand that business. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. What, one example that comes to mind when you talked about Florida insurance was this um, universal yep. insurance. Universal holdings, yeah. Universal holdings. They were, I mean, yeah. on paper, they looked very attractive, I have to say. And I looked yeah. into them, but precisely yep. for this reason, they were insuring primarily Florida. I think they came out of Florida and they were, uh, insuring residential homes or something like that. Yep. And obviously there's a tremendous amount of risk when it comes to like hurricanes and flooding and things like that. And uh, when I looked at them, when we, I think we looked at it together back in like 2017 or something like that. Yep. There were string of these catastrophic events that would come every freaking every summer. And they were just getting hit really hard. So I was like, you know, this is not, this is not for me. Well, and, and ironically, they, I, like, I don't actually know what happened to them, but they had, our thesis was they actually had an upper limit to the amount of damage they could take. 
because the state of Florida was their reinsurer. So, but I, I think that they still, because they kept taking those hits, I think it just affected their balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to the point where they're, I mean, the last time I looked, they were trading, you know, at 75% of uh, less than what we were, mm-hmm. you and I were looking at it the last time. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. I just, well, just one more comment on this. It's, um, it's funny because you don't really think about, this is veering off a little bit on a tangent, but you don't really think about insurance as, you know, sort of the, this kind of, um, sort of the main part, but it, it, it is the, it, what it is, what undergrids a lot of these industries like shipping, for example, if you want to ship anything back and forth, if you don't have insurance coverage, like we would be, we would not be able to get the goods that we, that we do at the price point that we, that we want. Same thing with home insurance, same thing with, uh, commercial real estate, et cetera. The risk that the Florida homes is, is, is under that's, that's a real, that's a real problem. There's another thing happening in California with, you know, with, um, earthquake insurance, uh, uh, wildfire insurance, all these things, it sort of undergrids the entire ecosystem that sits on top of that insurance umbrella. And if that falls apart, you're talking about lots of, lots of industries that work on top of that, you know, basically getting rug pulled. So, um, yeah, you, what, I mean, just to give you like in Texas, there is, uh, uh, no commercial company gives you flood insurance, right? They have hurricane insurance, which is covered by your homeowners, which is wind damage. But if you have flooding, the water rising kind of, uh, damage is actually covered by the federal government provides flood insurance. So this is, this goes to show you that the federal government has a much larger balance sheet that they can you know, pay out of, not that I necessarily agree with that, you know, from a taxpayer's perspective, right? Um, Because a lot of that is they can, they can insure people in like, say, Galveston, Texas, where, uh, you know, beachfront homes that go for $4 million are getting fully insured, you know, because of uh, on my dime, right? So anyway, the whole point of that is, is to say like, you're, uh, these things are all interconnected, Right. The big risk with Silicon Valley Bank, right? Obviously, if you're a depositor, like my company is, um, there's a risk that you may not get recover much of your funds. But the bigger problem, I would say, is um, from an uh, is think about all of the companies that are impacted where they can't pay their employees, right? And then their employees, um, you know, are suddenly you know have uh, uh, unemployed. The same problem is it's going to have ripple effects throughout the economy, right? Because those companies are no longer paying uh, for contracts for, you know, services or other things because they're, they went suddenly went under, right? So it has a ripple impact and we have to see what the, the final impact is going to. Yeah, definitely. The ripple effect is the secondary and tertiary effect of this is going to be, you know, it's going to be very, it's going to be very scary uh, to me. I mean. (laughs) It is, it is going to stop, uh, it is going to actually do, do some good in terms of maybe, uh, reducing that inflation that we all wanted to see, but, uh, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be, um, very scary to see. We'll see what happens. Things are, things are very moving very, very quickly. So anyway, so that was a quick kind of an emergency podcast to talk about it. I hope you guys, um, got something out of it. I think it's interesting to look at some of these companies that again, are operating out of the balance sheet. 
some things to look at, like we talked about today, um, you know, regional or industry specific risk. We talked about, you know, loss ratios. We talked about, um, you know, differences between insurance companies versus banks. So hopefully, so hopefully some of those points were helpful to you. All right. Definitely check us out on valueinvestor.org. We got a lot of free resources there. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, and subscribe and leave us a comment and, um, we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.